everybody. This is your mouthy mama Shelly at Talking Trash and Truths. And I have questions. Lately, all I hear about are men and women and traditional marriage. I hear a lot of people talking about how, you know, men are being told not to be men. You know, they're being shamed for their toxic masculinity and everybody needs to be in touch with their feminine side and i've said this too before i've said men need to know their feminine side that does not mean they need to act like females there's a distinct difference between males and females in my mind and it's my opinion not anybody else's i really don't care what anybody else thinks i have to think what i think you're welcome to try to change my mind. I'm always open to, you know, somebody stating their viewpoint, except, you know, when I go see a doctor or I talk to somebody who just doesn't use logic at all and insists on arguing with me, in which case, fuck it, you want. Um, oh, look, I went almost a minute and a half without saying F and then I dropped it. Oh, well. Um, so my thing is, what what kind of man do you want? Like, what is your ideal man? I mean, I've always known what mine was. I want someone who's a provider. This is what I've always wanted. I dreamed of marrying, marrying, let me not let my jersey out that much this early on I dreamt of marrying since I was a little girl and true the first thing I ever thought you know about when I grew up was one I want to help animals because that's you know every child wants to help animals I think and I just really really did and eventually I did I worked for a vet it was great um never thought I would happily get paid seven dollars an hour to have a dog vomit on me for over an hour because he swallowed a bunch of batteries and i'm now pumping um, hydrogen peroxide and water down his throat so that he throws the batteries up and doesn't die and where is he throwing it up not in a bucket guess why because he's a dog so where do you throw it up right in my lap and that's what i did for over an hour i sat on the floor with this big, dumb, sweet as could be golden retriever. And he just laid in my lap and I just kept feeding him this disgusting peroxide solution. And he just kept turning his head and he <laughs> just all over me, just all over my legs, my stomach, like everywhere. And he was just okay, good boy. It's, yeah, and I'm counting batteries. Yeah, it's like okay, but that was actually probably one of the jobs I loved most in this world. I made absolute shit money. I worked every holiday. I worked until well after closing because you know you got to mop all the floors and clean all the kennels. You got to do all the food inventory. You got to put all the you know like syringes and medicine everything has to be up to date and i'm a people pleaser so of course 
type of personality, I had to do that. But I went way far afield. Um, that was what I wanted to be when I was little. I wanted to be an animal doctor. I didn't know what the hell they were called. And then when I did find out what they were called, I, I want to be a veterinarian. Like, I just, I was very adamant about it. And that didn't turn out too well for me. But, you know, I do know a lot about animals. I know a lot about their care. I know about rescuing them. I do what I can. But when I was little, that's all I ever wanted to do. That and have babies. I wanted to be a mom. That's all I ever dreamed of. Being a mom. I just want to be a mom. Just let me be a mom. Can I just be a mom? Sure. You could be a mom. You can do whatever you want. You know? It's good for you. You're, you'll be fine. Oh, okay. And I was. You know, I, I I did everything I was supposed to. You know, I I went to school. I got good grades. I, I was good to my family. I behaved. I was obedient. God, was I obedient. You know, I... I made sure to live up to their whole idea of children should be seen and not heard. And if the, you could avoid seeing them, that's good too. So I spent like a lot of time alone, but when you're alone, you, you overthink and you over fantasize. And even though, you know, as a kid, it's not the same kind of fantasy you have as an adult, but I would have these, you know, like really elaborate daydreams about what my life was going to be. And I would read books to escape, you know, the life that I had. Cause I, I didn't have a good childhood. You know, I started um, seeing my mom be abused from pretty much birth. I mean, one of the first memories I have is of her, you know, trying to stay awake at night to make the products that we sold in the flea market because it was the 70s and my parents were fucking hippies um to a degree i mean they were like you know bike, you know like bike riding kind of motorcycle people leather people hippie people just they were just let's not have real jobs and do this and let's bring our kid because that's that's a great environment for her to grow up in a flea market surrounded by bikers awesome and honestly, if it wasn't for my father, that was a really awesome place. Like, I learned a lot. And we were only in that flea market when I was three and four. And I still remember, you know, like, all the people that I met and, you know, how to talk to people. But anyway, like, you know, from back then, they, they were hippies. And one of my first memories is seeing my father, you know, beat the hell out of my mother and she would always you know apologize and you know I'm sorry I'm sorry Danny I'm sorry and it would make me angry I remember that like my heart would break because I didn't want her to see her in this pain but I I was mad that she stayed I didn't know that's why I was mad at the time, but I was mad that she, she allowed that to happen to her. 
you know, because as a kid, you think, you know, why are you letting this person do this to you? You know, you have two thoughts. Why is he doing it? Why are you letting him? You know, you don't understand that she has such a loss of power. You know, she has no control in this relationship she's in, in this marriage. So it's really unbalanced and it's never going to work. And one of them is always going to be miserable. And it's always going to be her because he's too fucking narcissistic and selfish for it to ever be him. But it made me mad. And what I didn't realize was I got mad a lot because once he was done with her, it was my turn. You know, like he always found a way to shift his attention to me. Being, um, being under the scrutiny of my father was not a pleasant thing. Um, my father was, um, about almost six feet tall, but to a three and four year old, he was a giant. He was, you know, four, maybe 500 pounds. He had gigantic hands. He was just gigantic in and of himself. They called him bear because he was so big. And, you know, he typical hippie. He was always in jeans with holes in them. And, you know, he wore his cowboy boots and his cowboy hat. And he always wore turquoise jewelry, turquoise rings, turquoise bracelet, turquoise necklace, turquoise on his cowboy hat, turquoise on his fucking boots, on his belt. Not that you could see the belt with that gigantic stomach of his, but he always wore turquoise. To this day, I cannot see that jewelry without having a panic attack. Instantly makes me think of him. And I instantly revert back to that scared, you know, three and four year old who was terrified of this man. But I was, I was angry, you know, cause all right, he hit her. She's crying. Now he's annoyed. Oh, look, he's looking at me. What now? And it was always something. It was always, all right, come on. We're going to go out to eat. All right, we're going to stay up all night and, you know, watch TV. All of these sound like fun things, but they weren't when it came to my father. Like, it was always something. And he was just a very, very charming person to everybody else. Like, he could charm the skin off a snake, no problem. Everybody loved him. The cops loved him. The ambulance corps loved him. The firemen loved him. You know, that, that's pretty much our whole town where we were living at the time. And that was certainly every authority figure. So who was my mother going to go to? Who was I going to go to? Because trust me, my mother had gone to the cops. They just sent her home with a little pat on her head. Called my father at home, told him what she did, and she'd get her ass handed to her. And it just, it wasn't fair. She had no way out. Until one day at the flea market, we did. And it was my stepdad that got us out. He was friends with my father. 
he was much younger than my father. He was about, I want to say 10 years younger than my father. Yeah, because he was 10 years younger than my mother. Uh, he was just a, a kid. And he was, what, maybe 24, maybe 25. You know, and he just, oh, he, he adored me. I called him Uncle Ray. And I had seen the relationship between my mother and father, and I, I didn't, I didn't like it. You know, it was just, it was painful all around. It was painful for them. It was painful for me. And meeting Uncle Ray, as I called him, was eye-opening. You know, he was good to me. You know, he'd buy me whatever I needed at the flea market. He was never touchy-feely because I had a problem, you know, with that. I was a very affectionate kid, but adult men tended to make me want to run the other way. So I didn't, I didn't show him an affection because it could be misconstrued or it could lead to something else that, you know, I would often get the blame for. And I just didn't do it. And you didn't really get to be affectionate with the women in my family because they're not the sweetest group of people. Like you look up cunty and bitchy in the fucking dictionary and you're going to see all my female relatives just laid out right there under both definitions. And they, they're interchangeable, by the way. They can go either way. Who was a closet lesbian? Who only cared about money? Who was cheating on their wife? Who had a girlfriend for 40 fucking years? You know, it's just... All families have their secrets. And as I found out the secrets in mine, I lost more and more respect for them. Not that I had a whole overabundance to begin with, but with Uncle Ray, it was different. He didn't treat me the way my family treated me. He didn't expect me, just sit there, look pretty. Don't talk. You know, just sit there. You pay attention. Michelle, I said, pay attention. Michelle, don't talk. Michelle, I shouldn't hear you. Honey Bunch, sit down. It was always delivered nicely, but it was like, it's like telling the kid that, you know, they're in trouble. They know they're in trouble and you keep telling them, come here, come here. And they're like, no. And you're like, I'm not going to hit you. Come here. And as soon as they come near you, whack them. It was that kind of relationship. My family didn't hit me. Yeah, my family didn't hit me. They... They went more for the, um, the verbal than anything, you know, Michelle, come here, Michelle, sit down, Michelle, don't say anything, Michelle, be quiet, Michelle, you're not funny, Michelle, you're not pretty, Michelle, you're not this, oh, you're, you know, you're lazy, and you're this, and you're that, and you're, oh, you're so heavy, I wasn't, I had a round fucking face, like, who puts a nine-year-old on Weight Watchers because she needs to lose 10 pounds? Really? Really? Because I lost the 10 pounds, and then I lost another 10 pounds, and then I lost another 10 pounds, and I looked like a fucking stick figure. And then it all came back as soon as it could. Shit.
anyway that hurt so yeah no they my family's good at telling me you know all the things that i am or that i'm not you know not smart not talented not pretty not skinny not rich not married you know my kids are not overachievers i don't walk around saying hey i just bought a five hundred thousand dollar house you know like I, I don't do that i don't have a house down the shore i don't have you know three really nice cars i can't afford to buy my kids their own cars if they ever want to drive their own cars they're gonna have to buy them the same fucking way i did but back to men so uncle ray was obviously you know a good person a provider but he was for me my protector he was there the night that my mother and father blew up at each other and my father threatened to kill her and uncle ray got me and my mom out of a side door that only he had keys to because apparently working in the flea market after you know hours was a thing but okay um so yes yeah, so he he got us away from my father he stayed behind and you know he fought with my father and they argued but my father followed us <sighs> followed us to i apologize i'm tired it's 3.30 in the morning. 3.30 in the morning. Not a soul in sight. But, um, yeah, he, he helped us escape. And I remember, four years old, I my job was to sit in the back seat, looking out the back window of my mother's car, and looking to see if my father's van was following us. And we drove to my grandmother and grandfather's. It was late at night. And all I could think was, I'm never going home. I'm never going to see Uncle Ray again. And I was good with never going home because that was like a house of horrors. I didn't even mind so much that I had to leave all my animals behind. Though I really, I missed my dogs especially chance, but I, I didn't want to be there. You know, it was just, it was, it was a horrible place. It was dark and it was dirty. And, you know, I lived in a closet, literally in a closet and it was just bad. There were constant, you know, like parties and drugs were all around and, you know, tons of booze and God, my father was loud. I probably get that from him, but yeah, it was just, it was a horror show. I never knew what was going to happen. I didn't know if I was going to be made to stay up all night and like, I had to watch friggin' like nature shows and Grizzly Adams and whatever the hell was on TV at five o'clock in the morning besides like that's all day. But he needed somebody to stay up with him. And apparently I was better company. 
than my mother because I knew enough not to talk. You know, I just sat there and just shut the fuck up. Just sit here. Maybe he'll forget you're here and you can go to sleep. But even as a four-year-old, I knew. I knew how to withdraw and become as small as possible. And I was tiny anyway, just so I wouldn't be seen. So nobody would notice. And so we're at my grandparents and, you know, a couple months go by and my father's tried to kidnap me twice. And it's, it was just, it was a nightmare because I, I didn't, I didn't have the one person who I knew would protect me. And I came home from school. It was the very beginning of school. And we owned a gas station. So we had like this little, um, this little red truck that was the blazer because the big orange truck was the Bronco. So, or the other way around. Anyway, it was a little two door, you know, like pickup truck, but old, like really old. So it was tiny and it was just perfect for my grandfather because he was tiny and he used to put, put, put along in it. And they had the plow on the front. But something had gone wrong. And I guess they needed the radio fixed or whatever. And the electric was beyond our scope of, you know, fixing things. And I see the the truck parked, like, right on the side of my house. And there's these two huge boots hanging out of it. So somebody was, like, laying on the bench seat so they can get underneath the dashboard. And nobody had to tell me anything. I saw nothing but boot. And oh my God, it's Uncle Ray. Because I prayed for him every night. Every night I prayed, dear God, please take care of mommy. Take care of me. Take care of grandma and grandpa and the girls. And take care of the animals. And if you can, can you give me back my Uncle Ray? And I say, you know, I, I love him. Can you send them back to me? Because I felt like he was the only person in the world that would protect me. And I was right. But it was. It was him hanging out. You know, he had come over to fix the truck. And he started working for my grandfather. And he started coming around every day. And you could not thrill me more. And then he married my mother and I got an actual father, you know, one who wasn't going to hurt me, wasn't going to hit me, wasn't going to, you know, think I was his little doll. You know, I, I wasn't, he wasn't the type to look at me and go, Hmm, I like that. Like he just saw his little girl. Like he saw his daughter. That's how he thought of me. That's how he always thought of me. And he was young. He was like, it's like I said, he was like 25, 26 at that point. And I, I just loved him. And I'd never known unconditional love from somebody until him. I didn't get that from my family. Their love is always conditional. Always. Even from like, you know, my mother, it, it's always been well, of course I love you, but you need to do this. So there's always been like these conditions and I'm just not that person. If I love you, I love you. 
you know, I don't, I don't need you to change anything for me, change for you, but you don't have to change it for me unless I tell you, listen, I, I love you, but this drives me insane. I'm still going to love you. You're just going to drive me crazy and I'm going to be bitchy sometimes because of it. So, I mean, there's a trade-off, but he was my protector. And to me, that's, that's what a man should be. He was a provider. He was a protector and he was strong and kind of scary. So he was strong physically and he was strong willed. But he was a little, you know, intimidating. Which I found fascinating because every man I'd ever met intimidated me except for him. Because when you meet that person that they just put you above everything else, you are their priority. You know that person's not going to hurt you. You know, they're not out to make you suffer. They're not out to make you into their little bitch. They're out to take care of you and help you and nurture you and watch you grow and pray for your success and your good health and every single thing that you achieve, they achieve. And that's how he was. Every, I could have farted candle in the wind and he would have been so proud you know like it's just who he was my mother would have said it was off key my grandmother would have said i saw that on tv and my grandfather would have been asleep in his chair so like he was the only one that paid attention to the shit that i did oh michelle loves movies nobody gave a shit what did he do he recorded every goddamn movie that was on hbo so that i could watch them everyone you want to watch Star Wars for the 9,000th time? Sure, let's watch A New Hope. And he would watch all the shit with me. You know, and we would talk. And <laughs> one of the best things about men is they're challenging. And they're competitive. Now, that wasn't great for my ex-husband because I used to let him think he was winning every game we ever played until like the last five or six minutes. And then I would just sweep the game and he would be so pissed. Even Trivial Pursuit, like he had five wedges and I had none. And he was like, oh, ha, ha, ha. Like he's like all boasting and I'm sitting there going, nah, he who laughs last, motherfucker. And he was just like, I'm going to beat you. I'm going to beat you. I'm going to beat you. Okay. Can't believe you haven't gotten one. And I rolled the dice. And, oh, look at me. I'm in the middle, pink. Got that right there. Oh, look at me. I'm in the middle, blue. Got that one. Oh, look at me. I'm in the middle again. And, you know, he was just like, <laughs> he was getting so pissed off. And then when I won, he was like, what the fuck? <laughs> and my husband was not a yeller. He, he was very soft-spoken Minnesota boy. Like, it was very like, oh, wow, okay. But no, the, when I beat him that day, he was like, I'm not playing with you anymore. <laughs> okay. But um, I got that because of daddy. You know, and when I say daddy, I will always be talking about Uncle Ray, my stepfather. 
you know, he came into my life when I was four. He died when I was 13. He was only 34. I had him nine years. He died when I was 13. I am 48. 35 friggin' years. And I still cry. Because when you lose somebody that you trust and love and you know loves you, when you live in a world where everybody is trying to hurt you and steal pieces of you because they're selfish and perverse. When you lose that person, you're never the same. And everybody made fun of me for mourning for so long because songs would make me cry and his name would make me cry and talking about him would make me cry. And everybody's like, oh, you know, like my family's like, he wasn't that great. No, he was to me. Maybe he didn't please all you people, but who the hell ever has? Nobody's good enough for you fucks. But he was good enough for me. He was the standard for me. He was everything I wanted my husband to be. A provider, a protector, strong. You know, intimidating to other people, challenging, competitive. I didn't think it was a lot to ask for. I still don't. And yet I never got it, ever. I didn't get what I wanted, but, you know, that's okay. I became what I needed. One of the things that I, I've heard on so many of these podcasts and, you know, like interviews about men and women and whatever. The problem is I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. I wanted to be a homemaker. I wanted to be somebody's mother. I had dreams of having like a dozen kids. It's what I wanted. It's what I dreamed of. It's what I planned for. And then daddy died when I was 13. And suddenly being married didn't really seem that exciting anymore. Because I didn't have somebody to walk me down the aisle, you know. And I wasn't going to let anybody else do it. That was, that was his job. Who was going to do it? My father? Good God. I stopped seeing that man when I was nine. When somebody finally listened to me. When I ran inside crying, he's going to kill me. Like, I don't want to see him anymore. I just don't. I can't take it. Nine years old, me hysterical crying. And the only one listening was my uncle who hates me. He's just so mean to me. And he listened and said, well, what did he do? I can't tell you what he did because I, I didn't have to tell them. They knew. They all knew what he was doing. 
Nobody stopped him. My grandmother actually saw him assault me one day in the car. And what did she say? She said, how could you let him do that to you? Oh, you're so dirty. That's just dirty. And she was so upset. I was, when she said it, I think I was seven, maybe eight years old, but I, I'm pretty sure I was seven. And it, it didn't dawn on me until I was in my 30s. Who the hell tells a kid, how could you let him do that to you? The man is six feet tall and 500 fucking pounds. What am I going to do? Little ass me, 70 freaking pounds. You know, I was what? Four, two, maybe at a time. So it was like, uh, like I just, I couldn't win. It was always going to be my fault. I was always going to be the shame of the family. I was always going to be the black sheep, the dirty one, the, you know, oh, there goes the whore, you know, okay. You know, not for nothing, but I've been a really bad whore. Like, I, I really, I should have been a whore professionally. I really should have. Because they're going to screw you over anyway, so you might as well get paid for it. Kudos to all those women who went out and got themselves condos and townhouses and mansions, but just by fucking. I'd hate to see the state of your hips, though. I bet you need hip replacement by the time you're 35. Have, like, pelvic inflammatory disease and, like, all those STDs. That's what I was really pissed about when we went into the pandemic because I said, I'm taking all these precautions. They're saying it's going to kill you. If I get this fucking virus and it kills me, I'm going to be so pissed because I have thrown my honey badger on the roulette table a lot and never came on with anything but like snake eyes. Like I never got anything from anybody that I was with. I took risks, not just sexually, just with my car, with whatever I was doing. Because I, I think I had a death wish. I've always had a death wish. I probably still have a death wish, which is one of the reasons why I don't have a car. Because I will drive it into a wall, and that's not a good look. So, yeah, no, I just... I lost my train of thought, son of a bitch. This happens now, and it's driving me crazy. Son of a bitch, what was I talking about, guys? I was talking about my father. I was talking about that. Oh, well, with the wedding. Yeah, so, like, I wasn't really looking forward to getting married anymore. Because daddy wasn't going to be there. That was the only part that I had fixed in my mind. Was him walking me down the aisle and the first dance. The father-daughter dance. And I just, I don't know, I just, I was heartbroken because he was gone and my dreams went with him. And I never thought he would, he would leave me. It's funny though, because he used to tell my mother, 
uh, I'm I'm not gonna make it through her teenage years. Like I'm just not. Like there's no way. I don't I don't want to be here for her teenage years. And he said it. He said I was really funny, really intelligent, really pretty. I was gonna be a problem, you know, because I was also very innocent. You know, like I I didn't have friends. I went home. I studied and I did my homework and I watched soap operas with my grandmother. You know, I learned how to be a wife. You know, I, I learned how to clean. I learned how to cook. I learned how to make any kind of fucking dessert you could want. I learned how to please. Oh, are you hungry? Oh, are you thirsty? Make sure that, you know, the coffee cup is never empty. Make sure their glass is never empty. Make sure their plate is full enough. Make sure the food is hot enough. You eat last. You sit last. You do this last because you come last. Well, I got that last part down. I always came last in all my relationships, but the rest of it, I, I didn't get much of a chance to do except in my marriage. Like, I mean, I, I cooked for my exes, you know, when they really asked me to, because I didn't have a kitchen of my own. It was different. You know, you don't encroach on your mother or your grandmother's kitchen. You just don't do it. And, you know, I would go to their houses or whatever, and we'd be hanging out. They'd be like, hey, Shell, can you cook? I'm fine, whatever. You know, I'm going to make them like tortellini soup, baked ziti. You know, it depended on what they wanted. And I only had like a few signature dishes that I did really, really well. But I was also only like 19 years old. But, um, yeah, no, I just, I, I kind of gave up the whole dream of being married and I just figured, all right, I'll just have the kids. How hard could it be? You know, all these chicks out here are getting pregnant. And nobody's got a man. I don't need no man. I don't need no stinking man. But I did. And I do. And <laughs> I don't like it. Like, traditional marriage was what I was raised on. It's, you know, it's it was the goal. You know, that was supposed to be my role in life mother, wife, homemaker. I was supposed to be the next matriarch. And now we don't have fucking any in my family. And I got married. I got married when I was, I had just turned 26. But I got engaged when I was 25, which was all that mattered to me because I wanted to be engaged by the time I was 25 or it would never happen for me. Oh, I hit that. And it did. I, I met a guy on the internet and I told him I'd never be in love with him, but you know, we could do this. And so we did. And we were together five years. It was, it was, we had a lot of good times. It's just, he was, you know, well, him and I was me and it was like oil and water, very, very loud oil and very, very still quiet water. And we just, we just didn't work as a husband and wife, you know, cause he, I wanted things and he didn't have any ambition or drive and it was always my fault. And I mean, now we know that he, you know, he was autistic and he was never diagnosed and but he had Asperger's and he's got a whole host of problems. Same way I have a whole host of problems, but we didn't know that 
all I knew was that he drank a lot and he was abusive and he could be a real fuck. And to this day, he still doesn't think he was that bad, but it's like, all right, whatever. You know, I only tried to kill myself like three times while we were married. So yeah, you weren't that bad, but I still talked to him. So, I mean, I guess he wasn't like, either he wasn't atrocious or I just have no self-esteem whatsoever. And I'm thinking it's probably six of one and half a dozen of the other. But, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't want marriage until I did because my grandmother was sick and she just wanted me to be married and taken care of. That's all she wanted. And I made that happen for her. And she died within a year and a half of me getting married. And I'm just thankful that, you know, the two people that were my heroes, you know, at least one of them was there. And she didn't really like my husband. Nobody really liked my husband. I liked him. We got along, you know, but we had issues, you know, that got bigger over time. And it just, it just felt like it was so futile, but I had already had my daughter years before he loved my daughter. As soon as he met her, um, he didn't give me any kind of weird vibes as far as that. And she liked him. And that was, that was the whole thing. When they met, I had already told him, yeah, I'll marry you, but you have to meet my daughter. And if she doesn't like you or I get the slightest red flag feeling, fuck you, dude. And he's, oh, that's cool. And I think he thought I was kidding. I wasn't. I have never, ever, ever dated somebody that my kids did not approve of. Because if they're getting vibes, I'm listening to them because nobody listened to me. So I got to be abused age three, four, five. Six, seven, eight, nine. That's a lot of years for one kid to be so thoroughly abused by their own father and have nobody to talk to it, you know, about it, have nobody to confide in. I had to hide it because it was a shame that they put on me. It was my shame to carry and I carried it for decades and I won't carry it anymore because it wasn't my fault. It wasn't me. And anybody who's been through any kind of child molestation, sexual abuse, you know, violence, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. And no matter what happened, you could not have prevented it. You need to forgive yourself because you did nothing wrong. It's a very, very tender subject for me. And I will do probably a whole stream about it at one point, but not today. Today, I just wanted to talk about, you know, men and women and what we want, what we need. I wanted your, you know, typical marriage. I wanted a typical husband. I wanted typical kids. 
and I, I I didn't think I was strong enough, you know, to be the provider, the breadwinner, the one who, you know, I could be the support. Oh, absolutely. I could do all the work behind the scenes, but I did not want to be the one up front being watched. I didn't like that kind of attention. I didn't want that kind of attention. And all I got was that kind of attention because necessity is the mother of invention. And because I picked so badly when it came to men, I had to reinvent myself as a provider and a protector. I had to be strong. I had to be intimidating. And I had to be competitive because I had to always come out ahead. My kids had to have a mother who won. I had to defeat everybody. And I saw everybody as an opponent. Everybody was against me. For better or for worse, you know. I learned to be the man. You know, my, my first boyfriend when I was an adult was my daughter's father. And I mean, this motherfucker was six foot five and kept growing. You know, he was huge and I'd known him since he was like 12 and he was always a good kid. And, you know, I, I didn't realize that he was, you know, like three years younger than me, but he was six foot five. Who the fuck would? But he adored me. He did. He worshipped the ground I walked on. And because he was such a beta, I walked on the ground he worshipped. Happily. I used to make him cry. I was so mean to him. Good God, I was so mean to him. And if he was to walk through the door today, knowing what I know, I would still be mean to him. Because he's a dick. He couldn't even tell me one of his daughter's diagnoses. You know that? She's had like 20 of them. All of them wrong. But he couldn't tell me not one of them. He He's never been to a doctor with her, with me. Like he, he never did anything for her. He had her once in Florida for six weeks. They called me every single day to bitch about one another for the first like two weeks. They had me so stressed out. I had the trots every damn day. I couldn't leave my house because I was so sick to my stomach from the nerves. And I finally got them both on the phone. And I said, let me tell you something. Y'all better learn to get the fuck along. I am sick of your shit. I'm sick of hearing her. I'm sick of hearing you. Either get along or I'm going to get on a plane come down to Florida, kick both your asses, get back on the plane, and come home. And you know I'll do it. I didn't get one phone call after that. I was like, did they kill each other? Because at that point, as long as I had peace, I didn't care. I was like, I don't care what they did. I'm just, woo, let me just enjoy the silence. <sighs> they didn't kill each other, but she came home was right after Hurricane Irene. She had to postpone coming home for like a week because the airports were all closed. And when she got home, she got off the plane and I'm standing there by myself waiting for her. I'm like, Kay! And she was like, Mom! Dad's an asshole. I was like, 
Oh, wow. You just couldn't wait for that one. I was like, don't say that. She was like, no, really, he's an asshole. He, he is. He's an asshole. Okay, what makes you say that? And she gave me like the whole list of just how petty and juvenile and immature he was. How inconsiderate and selfish. He basically used her as a babysitter so him and his fucking ugly ass wife could go out. So it's like, all right, you and the schnoz go out and you have fun. It's like, whatever. Leave my kid home to babysit your other illegitimate children. I, I can't. The, the, the man never meant a, a friggin' ovum he didn't like. But <sighs> she had his number. And I, I did. I made him cry the whole time. And he deserved it. He still deserves it. I kind of want to call him tonight and just make him cry and be like, ha ha ha. But I won't. Because I don't do that anymore. That That's the old Michelle. That's the vindictive Michelle. But if he ever hurts my daughter again, other than the constant hurt of not being in her life, you know, I'm going to make him cry again. I already made him drive across country and gave him nothing and made him, you know, get on it. Well, I didn't make him get on a plane to come up for my birthday. That was his choice. It was also his choice to take E and to take two tablets and show up at my door and <laughs> be like, I need to take a shower. I was like, oh my God. He was so tweaked. And I had to sit there on the toilet while I listened to him as he talked for four hours while he was in the shower. And then it was all the I love yous and whatever. It was like, oh dear God, please no. I never understood how he could just break down every time he sees me. It's been 30 years. Let it go. I love you. Oh, good God, you're a wimp. And that's the thing. Rikeda always says a woman will not respect her man if he presents as weak. And he always presented as weak. And the dude after him was not weak. He was strong and authoritative and decisive and never, like, he'd say, do, do you have something that you want for dinner? Like, where do you want to go for dinner? Anywhere special? No? All right, then I'll choose. Yeah, all right, okay. And he knew what I wanted. He knew what I liked, and he just made the decision. I made decisions all the freaking time. When I was with him, I didn't have to. I knew I was in good hands. I knew we were going to do something easy or fun or whatever because he knew how to read my mood but he also knew how to push my buttons he still knows how to push my buttons and it drives me crazy but you know he it didn't work out with him because he wanted kids and they thought katie was you know sick from a genetic illness and it was not genetic it was a freak thing that happened to her. And I would never have a kid with, with that condition again, unless the same exact, you know, thing happened when they were two. And the likelihood of that was so far afield, it, it wasn't even like a thought. But it was enough to scare him.
he didn't want to be around if something happened to Katie. And so he cheated on me. And then he married the bitch that he cheated on me with. But, I mean, she's just a, you know, cheap carbon copy of me. She doesn't have any of my fire, any of my passion. And it's funny when they said, oh, you know, he's got a girlfriend. I said, let me guess. She looks just like me. How did you know that? Because I know him. I'm never going to be out of his mind. And she'll never be the love of his life. Ever. I got that distinction. Just like he got it. He would have been the ideal husband for me. And I worshipped him. I did. I, I just adored him. And he adored me. And it we would have had a very, very good marriage. And a whole lot of kids. But, you know, like he calls me Fertile Myrtle. He was always afraid of getting me pregnant. He made me take the shot. I gained like 100 pounds. Oh, God. Um, It was terrible. I, I didn't get my friend for like four years. So, the shot is not good for everybody. Um. That's the Depo Provera birth control shot, by the way. But yeah, no, he he was what I wanted. And I, I dated a couple guys after him, and it just they didn't do anything for me. You know, I one I tried to, you know, like really get to know and that wasn't working out. And the other one I tried to just, you know, fuck my sadness away. That didn't work out. And it was just like, ugh, like what do I want? And then I met my husband online. And yeah, we did. We clicked. We had a lot in common. We liked the same things. Our intelligence levels were, you know, comparable. He'll always say he's smarter than me. He's not. But whatever. Um, and that didn't work out either. Because then I, I had to step up in the first month to be the man he lost his job like right away the job that I got him through my connections at my job I got him a warehouse job at good freaking pay I don't think he lasted a week maybe two it was the weirdest thing and the guy from the warehouse called me at work and said I'm sorry I let him go I was like oh dear god he was like I just can't Sheldon, please don't ever send me somebody like that again. I was like, you know, that's my husband, right? He was like, I did not know that, but I'm so sorry. I was like, okay. He thought he was just a friend. I was like, well, no. So that didn't work out. And once that started, he started with the going online while I was asleep and then he'd go to sleep and I'd wake up, go on the computer and read all about what he just did. So I knew every step that he, he made. But when my grandmother died, I didn't have anybody else. So I chose to stay. And then he left and I chose to follow when he was like, come with me. You know, he came back and was like, you'll love Kansas. Let's go. Sure. You live in your apartment. I'll live in mine. This is a great marriage. Great. I want that person to grow old with. I want somebody who's going to watch movies with me that we can crack up about shit together. And 
I want somebody to, to talk to on the damn stream. Like I want somebody sitting next to me back and forth bantering. We could be like, you know, the, the couple of fucking YouTube or locals or rumble or whatever the hell we're on. You know, it's just, I missed out on that. And now I feel like with this sickness and my age, I'm never going to have it. And that breaks my heart. It really does. Because this is important. Marriage, tradition, family. It's all—it's the most important thing in this world. You know, it's what you miss the most when it's gone. And you can't recreate that. You can, you know, rebuild a business. You can start a new business. That family... That trust, that love, you're not going to get that back. You know, you could build it with somebody else, but it's not the same. And you know it's not the same. I'm going to end it here because I really, I just, I want you to think about it and maybe comment. Why are we so averse now to a traditional marriage? What is so bad about being a partner with someone who wants to take care of you. What's so bad about that? I take care of my kids. I take care of my cats. Are you telling me that it's okay to like take care of them, but it's not okay for somebody to take care of me? Because that just shows that you think I'm not worth it. And for a long time, I felt the same because I listened to people. And, oh, you know, you have two kids and you have this. And blah, 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 blah. Okay. Well, you know, no man is going to want you. My mother loved telling me that. You know, Michelle, with that attitude, you got these kids, no man's going to ever want you. Thanks, Mom. I love you. But who knows? Maybe my Prince Charming is out there. Maybe he's just waiting for me to smarten up. Maybe I won't get him this time. Maybe I'll get him next time around. You know, maybe this life is not the one that's meant for me to be, you know, joined at the hip with somebody. I really, really hope I'm wrong. The thing is, I'm usually not. And I don't know. I, I just, I want that old-fashioned life. I want to be courted. I want to be loved. I want to be taken care of. I want to decorate my own house. I want birthdays in the backyard. And I want kids in the pool all summer. That's what I want. Anyway. These are my late night thoughts on marriage and men and women together. Let me know how you feel. Do all the clicky things. Click the likes and the subscribe and whatever's free. And come back whenever I have another thought. And remember, every Tuesday, 7 o'clock is Tarot Tuesdays, 7 p.m. Eastern. Be there or be square. See you later.